All right, we are in the middle of James 5. We are continuing our wrap-up, so this week and next week to go in James. Dun-da-da-da! And I haven't, I'm still debating. No, I'm not telling yet, although I think I've let slip a couple times where we're going next. But if you've forgotten, that's just going to have to be your fault, so... We are taking small sections because we need to. This is James recapping and making sure you didn't miss anything. Well, what's the best way to make sure we don't miss anything? Don't fly through it, but actually stop and pay attention. He's concluding based on everything that he has taught. Now, this is our our little math equation that we always have to remember. If James is concluding based on everything that he has taught, everything that James has taught has been based on what? Or who? See, when in doubt, give me this Sunday school answer. There you go. On the teachings of Christ. And the work of Christ is based upon what? The entirety of your biblical history. So James has got a lot of work here. He is trying to summarize an entire mountain's worth of stuff to prepare a people to live in the world. All right, make sense? Now, Christian, where is your foundation or where should it be found? It should be found in Christ. Why? Because of who he is and because of what he has done. This is your resting point. You have to remember this when you are reading your Bible and when you are trying to understand passages. If you forget that at any point, you have, you have hopped off a sure foundation and, and found some squirrely one on the other side. That's not where you want to live ever. So with that in mind, uh, James 5, 7 through 11, let's dive right in. We're going to get really far this time before we stop on the first verse. You guys ready with verse 7? Are you sure about that? <laughs> Therefore, full stop. <laughs> I told you we're going to get really far. We made it one whole world, one whole word. This is one of the reasons why um, sometimes what we do on a Sunday morning gets a little disjointed. Always remember this would have been a letter. James would have sent this out to people. He would have sent this out to houses where congregations would have met. Would they have taken 16 weeks to read this like we have? No, they'd have taken about 16 minutes, which I've encouraged you to do, do before. It's, it's five chapters in James. Go home and read it all, like in a sitting. It will do you some good. And you can do it in, in less than a half an hour. I need to get that list out. I have a list of Bible books that you can read in less than a half an hour. I need to go put that on the bulletin board again. It's more than you'd think. And I, I learned this, the, um, I don't know if the hard way is the right way to put it, but I was astounded by how quickly you can read New Testament books. I ended up taking a religion, uh, an intro to the New Testament class as an undergrad, and I took it in a summer session, because I'm a nitwit, apparently. So, they, uh, instead of an entire semester, you crammed everything into like four weeks. <laughs> so, it, like Monday was an entire week or two's worth of work. So, when we got there on Monday, we did the syllabus, did a general overview, and my homework that night was read Matthew. And then Monday, on Tuesday, we went through Matthew, the whole gospel, and it did two, three hours. And then Tuesday night's homework was read Mark, and then so on and forth. You realize real quick, you're like, you want me to read the whole gospel? It's actually not that long. You th- we think about them as these massive, long books, but you can sit down and read Matthew, which is fairly long, a couple hours. And you can sit down and read it. 
I mean, if you've ever been a novel reader, you like reading fiction, you, you've, you've read longer than that probably in a sitting. You could get engrossed into a story and read through. So I just point that out as a way. It's not as daunting as you think it is. Some of the Old Testament can be because you get bogged down and the legal aspects of it. In the, but the New Testament Gospels especially, they, they're moving. They're telling a story. They, they build. James is doing the same thing. That therefore matters because that is based upon the entirety of the previous four chapters of what he's been teaching, but specifically the warnings that we covered last week. Now, I can't take another 45 minutes to go over last week, so you'll just have to go hunt that down if you missed it. But just know that this is being built upon the warnings that James has given to those who are trusting wrongly or living blindly. So, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Why? Why should we wait patiently? How does God do? And I mean that legitimately. That, I, I meant that question to be grammatically incorrect. How does God function on behalf of his people in the world? Second Peter chapter 3. Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. You've never heard anything like that before ever, right? Oh yeah, well, 2,000 years, huh? You're still... It's almost like they don't come up with new arguments. When they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. By the way, I cover this every time we mention this passage, that's not a math equation, okay? You cannot plug that into a calculator and then determine that Jesus is coming back on March 39th of 2042, okay? It doesn't work that way. That's not how that's supposed to be. Some of you are trying to figure out when March 39th is right now. It's in April at some point, okay? <laughs> Just keep going, right? It's be all right. Not a math equation. That's not like a one-to-one -one comparison. The point is the point is that God does not, oh, how do you want to phrase this, experience time the way you do because God doesn't experience time. He is beyond time. Now, I can't explain that any better to you because I do experience time because I have to. That is how he has made me. So for me to understand a being that is completely otherly from me, I can only give you so much. So that's why I always point out the two timelines idea that we have the real people doing real things in real places in real time. And then we have the work of God that supersedes that. Where he's accomplishing outside of that and then on occasion intervening all the while governing. Don't, again, don't ask me how that exactly works either. Remember our rule. The bug in the jar will never fully understand the boy who put him there. We're the bug in the jar. Always have been, always will be. You will see clearer one day, but I don't think you're ever going to really understand. So that's not a math equation. God is working on a different timeline. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So let me give an example of why you should be patient, because when we, when we understand our role in creation, it, it helps put things in perspective. So this is a little bit of your trivia question and a little bit of something we covered in Sunday school. So it's always fun, right? Pull from everywhere, and then everyone's confused. 
So you have the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 and the exiling of the people of Judah from their nation. So some of them are cast out. So they just went into pagan lands and went, oh, well, no more temple, no more Yahweh, might as well go be pagans, right? Some of them did, many of them did not. This is the beginning of your synagogue system that Paul will take advantage of later on. This is the beginning of the spread of Judaism throughout the what will later become the Roman Empire. So when you see in the book of Acts at Pentecost, people coming from all of these nations, speaking all of these languages, well, why are they faithful Jews, despite the, you know, despite the fact that they speak different languages in different nations? Well, because they have synagogues. They have the law read to them each week. They study, they're encouraged, they're taught how to live in the world. Paul can take advantage of this because God laid the seeds for that at that point 600-ish years before. Likewise, why not at the destruction of Jerusalem, the return of the exile 70 years later, why not the work of Christ then? Galatians 4, it is not the fullness of time. You don't want to do that work in the midst of a Persian empire. You don't want to do that work in the midst of a Greek empire. You wanted to do that work in the midst of a Roman empire. Why? Pax Romana is a concept you learned in your world history class that everybody forgot. The Roman peace. Rome was the big bad on the planet. Who messed with them? Nobody or else. Which means you could travel. You could be secure and safe as you know, much as safety could be provided. As you went from Jerusalem to Spain. Just process that. On horseback by boat in the first century. Going from the Middle East to Western Europe. The Roman peace allowed that. Roman garrisons supplied that. Roman roads made that travel possible. The engineering marvels of the road. You, you, know, you know today we still use roads that the Romans built? And when the Roman Empire fell apart, people would come upon stuff that the Romans had built and gone, how'd they do that? Like we had to relearn how to do the stuff that they did. That's how far technologically along they were and how backwards we became in the Middle Ages in some areas. So we would find Roman roads and be like, one of these days we're going to figure out how to build a road just like this. And then we're going to teach it to the Illinois DOT. And then everybody's going to be happy, right? (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't work that way. So that's the time frame that God is working on. To us, it's hundreds of years But to God, it's the orderly arrangement of his creation to accomplish the work of his kingdom. Now, when you think through terms of God establishing synagogues 600 years beforehand so that there would be seeds planted throughout the empire, when you think of God destroying the Babylonians by the Persians and destroying the Persians by the Greeks and providing Hellenistic Greek culture that the Romans thought were amazing so that an entire empire from Western Europe to beyond the Middle East could borrow from a similar culture and have a common um, corporate language, you start to realize that God has been arranging the work of his people and his disciples and apostles for hundreds of years. Now, has God's work changed on behalf of his kingdom? No. Has the way he works with his people changed on behalf of his kingdom? No. Therefore, you walk faithfully, patiently. Because the work that you do is not supposed to be built now. It is supposed to be built in eternity. And as it is built rightly for his kingdom purposes, it is built with a long view in mind. How many times have you heard me tell you, you keep a long view, you play the long game. 
You don't win every battle here because you have already won the war. You don't have to worry about the battles here because eternity is secure. So fight as if you are fighting not for now, but for eternity. Argue as if you're not arguing for now, but for eternity. Work and serve unto God, not yourself and not the world. That's the perspective that changes you. And that starts with patience, which everyone loves to pray for patience, right? <laughs> Why don't you want to pray for patience? Because how do you develop patience? God sends you people who annoys the tar out of you so that you can then be patient. Just like you don't want to pray for your anger issues. Because then, then, then God sends you people that will make you angry so that you can learn to be patiently not angry. And like, I'm going to bite my own tongue off. <laughs> but James is giving you this same thing. Why? Because James is trying to prepare you to live in a broken world that hates you. And he's trying to make sure that you avoid the, avoid the pitfalls of living for this world. The starting point of that is perspective and understanding who you are and more importantly why you are, because that changes how you live. We're going to come back to that idea. The farmer, so here's an example. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil. That was almost some really good alliteration there. Being patient about it until it gets the early and the late rains. I've, t I've told you this before. My wife is shaking her head because she's, she grew up with a farmer, and he didn't always wait patiently. <laughs> And there is no worse feeling than needing rain and looking at the sky and there are no clouds. And you need rain and there are no clouds. You become very helpless very quickly. And, and, you, and people have different reactions to that at different stages of their lives. And you've, if you've ever really, really wanted something, you have either learned how to be at peace with not receiving it or you've been angry about not receiving it. And I've told you guys this story before. My, um, my in-laws having an especially dry year and not doing well. And... When things start getting tight, if you've ever lived paycheck to paycheck or you start realizing that there's consistently more month than there is money, everything in your house just runs perfectly in those times, right? You're kind to each other and you're loving and compassionate and everything's just, you're singing kumbaya as you starve to death slowly, you know? No. How is it with everyone else in your house? It's grumpy's the nice way of putting it. I mean, abrasive would be the polite way of saying it. Because you're, because you're reacting, because you're, you're upset, you're hurt, and you get this, and this is part of my father-in-law's wisdom, is don't blame me, blame the one who didn't send the rain. I can't make the crops grow, I can't make the water fall from the sky, I can't make the yield be good. This is a great analogy because it points to your helplessness in this world. Christian, this is something you need to remember on a regular basis. Don't build for now, build for eternity. Do not build on your work, build on his. Because, you ready for the dumbest thing I'm going to say all day? You ready? Here it is. God's work is better than yours. And all God's people said, duh. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 3. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now, the, now he who plants and he who waters are one. Each will receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, 
God's building. See, we use farming analogies in the New Testament. I say we like I had any part of it. Not because, well, it's an agrarian society, and these are things people would have understand. Yes, but at the same time, they're the perfect analogy, because if you've ever had a garden, you have felt just a little bit helpless. You've had a tomato plant that you thought you did everything right for, that just didn't do anything. Or the tomatoes that looked great, and then you took a bite out of one, it was like, who grew this thing? Because you're helpless. There's not a thing you can do about it. Christian, in this world, in your power, you're helpless. There's not a thing you can do. This is why we have to be so securely anchored. Because what does the pagan try to do constantly? We're going to solve this problem. We're going to build this up. We're gonna, this is, I told this in Sunday school. I'll joke about it again. We, um, the wildfire, there's a wildfire in New Mexico. That's, that's joined up with a second wildfire, and they were, they've given the cause of one, and I, I laughed, but I shouldn't laugh because it's probably not funny, but I'm, I'm a bad person, so. They announced the cause of one of the wildfires, which was a prescribed burn, which means the, the Forest Service went out to intentionally burn some undergrowth and manage the area, and it got out of hand and lit the whole area, and now half of New Mexico is on fire. And then like, and we were to Cameron and I were talking about this on the, on the drive in. It's like, so what exactly is the government good at again? And Cameron goes, messing up. I'm like, that's the answer. Because why? Because it's a pagan system. Because a government that forgets God is a government that seeks to become God in every shape, form, or fashion. So what happens now is we cause this problem over here. So we're going to do what? We're going to solve the problem. And as we solve this problem, what do we end up doing? We end up causing this problem over here, and then we're going to solve this problem, and we're going to create this one, and we're going to solve that one. Oh, look at this one. Never realize that we're basically just chasing our tail for eternity. If you'd like a good example of this, because I'm a, I'm a history nerd, <laughs> because I'm a history nerd, a good example of this is the entire history of American foreign policy of the last 60 years. You do realize that most of the people we're fighting today are the people we were giving guns and money to like 30 years ago. <laughs> and I, and I, got, I got a bad news for you. The people we're going to be fighting in 30 years <laughs> are probably the people we're giving guns and money to today. Now, that's not a moral commentary on any of their causes in a shape or fashion. It's just the reality of life. Typically, the people we're providing help to now are the ones we're fighting later, and the ones we're fighting now are the ones who we're helping later. <laughs> and yet, there's a reason why that rule is supposed to be there. Now, why do I say this? Because what are we accomplishing? Our wisdom. We are the smart people. We're the brilliant ones. We're the ones who are going to solve all the problems. No, we're not. We're building for the here and the now. Don't do that, Christian. Focus on eternity. Build for the long game. I don't change the world. I proclaim the truth and let the Holy Spirit change hearts and minds. I disciple rightly and trust the Holy Spirit to change hearts and minds, both the neighbor, and in my own house, because what changed my own heart and mind? The same work. Why do I think it should be a different power that works on them or a different thing that accomplishes it for them? It can't be because it never should have been. We are helpless when left to our own. Again, the dumb thing I'll say, God's work is better than your work. That helps you not try to win the argument, but try to win the heart. It helps you not try to change a culture, but try to change a heart with the gospel. So verse 8, you too be patient, strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. See, living your life, understanding that you are living it for God and that you are returning to God on a constant basis is the thing that gives you wisdom. It is the thing that changes how you see the things in this world. First Thessalonians 5, good example. 
As to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. In other words, when that... Again, I'm doing the Johnny Depp thing, and I don't know why. I, I, <laughs> I can't not do it. This is what happens when you watch all the movies with the kids, as you end up running around like this. <laughs> Why will you be found faithful in that day? Because when that day comes, you will see it clearly because you are standing in the light. Why will you be standing in the light in that day? Because you're standing in the light now. What about now? Are you standing in the light now? You're supposed to be. And what about now? Are you standing in the light now? Because these are all different moments of life. See, as you are standing in faithful now, following after Christ now, building on eternity now, then when you get there, you have nothing to worry about because then will be now and where will you be? Faithful, standing where you're supposed to be. This is what patience looks like. We mess ourselves up because I want to accomplish something. I want to build this. I, I can't ever get there. It doesn't work. Instead, I have to focus on where I am now. What am I doing now? Who am I talking to now? Now, did I tell you not to plan? No, we covered this in James a few weeks ago. Planning is not evil, but planning should always be done in light of whose work? God's. Building upon his kingdom, not our own. This is the important distinction. This is the thing that James wants to get back into the brain. You're going out into a world that hates you. The temptation will be to try to get to the next thing, to try to build something greater, to try to do something else. No. Stand firm. Be faithful. Grounded in wisdom. When James uses the word wisdom, what is he talking about? He's talking about your salvation, which leads to your sanctification. As you live rested upon the work of Christ, as you live trusting in Christ, as you live killing your sin, as you do those things day by day, the world is no threat. The world is no worry because you are being faithful unto eternity. So he continues on. Do not complain, brethren, against one another. Oh, it just took all the fun out of life, didn't it? We've covered this before. Why not? Matthew 7. Do not judge so that you will not be judged, for in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. That's good news for the Christian, because what's our standard? Good caveman theology. Uh-uh. Me bad. Him good. Always. So when I look at the world and say, that is sin, that is corruption, that has judgment upon it, what makes you so righteous? Nothing in this world. But God has declared me righteous by his good works. I am righteous because he is righteous. See, I'm not better than you. I'm redeemed. Repent of your sins and trust in him and you will see the way. This is, this is, the, this is simple. Why are you here? And I mean that, not just what are you, but why are you? Don't, don't reinvent the wheel. Don't make it too complicated. Because of who he is and what he has done. So we do what? We rest in Christ. This is, again, what changes my attitude towards the outside world. John 13. What's your commandment from Jesus, Christian? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. 
that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. See, I mentioned, I mentioned in Sunday school, I've mentioned it here before. It's real easy to look at the darkness and depravity of the world and hate it. The thing that's difficult is remembering that we shouldn't be hating the people because they're not the enemy. And that becomes real easy to do because you want them to get it and you want them to be different and you're tired of this and you're trying to corrupt my kids and Why? Because you don't want it to be like this because you know that there's a better way but you can't get them to see it. I know that. They can't see it. They're walking in darkness. That's why the day will overtake them. What must you do, Christian? You shine light. You're faithful now. You proclaim the truth in love. Our attack is not against the people. It's against the sin. That's why I joked with you guys last week. Because uh, they're, they're, they're out. Okay, let's try that again in English. The, uh, the random protests breaking out. I got to see some videos of them this week because the, uh, with everything going on at the Supreme Court, there were uh, pro-abortion groups that decided Mother's Day was a good day to go protest at churches. <laughs> and I was a little, uh, not terribly, because that would be, that would, let's be honest, that would be an inconvenience. But it would have been a little fun, right? I mean, let's, just a little bit to actually have that discussion and have that argument and get screeched at, you know? Because I even had my questions lined up just in case. <laughs> I was ready. That's why they're never coming here. <laughs> We're not important. <laughs> it's okay. God loves us, and that's all that matters. <laughs> but it's tempting to see them as the enemy. They're not the enemy. The idea is the enemy. The sin that corrupts is the enemy. We attack that. That's why I can joke it'd be fun because a, a bit of a debate. I was in my high school. I was voted the most likely to go to law school because I can argue with anything. Don't you nod your head. <laughs> I saw that. I felt the nod coming. <laughs> but I will. I, I'm fully acknowledging that about myself. Yeah, I, I was one of those kids that if you tell me not to do something, I'm going to figure out a way to undermine that rule. Because there's a way you wrote it the wrong way. You, there's something you didn't tell me I couldn't sing. <laughs> so when you see lawyers like, who in the world would think to even argue something like that? Ooh, ooh pick me. I would have. I would have. The advantage of that, though, is I think in ideas, not in people. And while not everybody's going to do that, you do need to, Christian, train yourself a little bit to do that, to go after not the person, but the idea, because this is how we win. We win by being faithful. What are we proclaiming? We're tearing down worldviews. We're tearing down ideas. We're proclaiming the goodness of Christ. Therefore, we use the same standard on them that is on us, because that's the same standard for everybody. Of course you're evil. You're a human being, corrupted by sin. Welcome to the planet. Now, there's a Savior who redeems and who cleanses and who changes hearts and minds. We go after the problem, which is not you. It's the corruption. So do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, what's our rule? Something important is coming. The judge is standing right at the door. Are you terrified of that? Like when I read that, do you expect the big scary music? Dun, dun, dun. The judge is right behind the door. Be afraid, be very. Like, why, why don't you think of this as a Boris Karloff film? Because you've been redeemed. 
You avoid the judgment because of your Romans 12 renewal. Heart and mind changed. 2 John 8 gives you the warning. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Well, why do I not fear falling away? Because my heart and mind have been changed in Christ. Hebrews 3. Take care, brethren, that there not be anyone, any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end. This is one of the reasons why a community of faith is so important. What in the world is pulling you towards Christ? Just out of curiosity. I mean, but I mean, in the world, the part of the world system. The answer is nothing. They're all looking at you going, yeah. Where in this place do you find that encouragement? Where do you find that uplifting? Where do you find other people who will look at you and go, no, that's not okay? Supposed to be a church. This is why if you, um, have you ever wondered, Counselors will see this a lot, but this is why you'll end up seeing alcoholics form communities and drug addicts form communities because they'll actually hold each other to some form of a standard because they appreciate how broken the other one is because they're stuck in the same problem. And they actually are willing to look at each other and go, dude, that wasn't cool. Like everything else we've done that's terrible was okay, but that was across the line. All right, that was a bridge too far. You're not going to do that. Like even the mob had rules, you know, back in the day. That's supposed to be our work. That's supposed to be our job. And humans know that we need it. We just keep looking for it. Oh, don't, 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 don't. You know what we are? We are as the great prophets of the 70s. We are looking for love in all the wrong places. (laughs) You're welcome. You can have that stuck in your head too. Because it was stuck in mine, so now it's stuck in yours. But why? Because we're made to worship something. Something is supposed to be God, and we will replace it with anything. That's why we build communities like we do, and that's why we construct standards like we do. We're trying to do this the right way. But again, take the Holy Spirit out. Build it on your work, and what will you accomplish? Nothing. As I like to put it, you put air conditioning on the bus to hell. Go team. Isn't that so much better? I mean, it's a nice bus. There's TV, there's AC, it's got brand new shocks. It's not like those death traps they put me in when I was a kid. You know, you drive it in the snow with no chains, and you're like, is this legal? <laughs> there's no seat belts, the windows don't work, you know, all that good stuff. No, we got a nice bus, like the one you used to rent for the long field trips when you used to go to like Washington, D.C. and stuff. And to, I'm sorry, I lived on the East Coast. That was an annual trip for most schools because it's like a, like a three-hour drive. Yeah, you get, you get the nice tour coach bus and you, you think you're special, like you're a rock star sitting there, like the seats are comfy. Ooh, there's seat belts. Like this, we're not dying in this one. Go team. Where are we going again? Oh, hell, good deal. Who cares how nice the bus is? What's the destination? This is what building in your own power and in your own wisdom looks like. Recognize, now, Christian, why don't you fear that the judge is at the door? Why don't you fear falling away? Why don't you fear losing what has been accomplished? Because you have been changed. That salvation has changed you. What changes the world? The same work, the same proclamation. So what must you do and how must you live? Because this is what James is ultimately answering, is how now shall we live in light of the world around us and the work that Christ has accomplished? Because here's the thing. 
if you were part of that early church, your world has been taken and flipped upside down. You thought that Israel were the good guys. You thought that the temple sacrifices and the Pharisees and the law-keeping and the systems, you thought that was how it was done. And now you're looking at it going, oh, yikes. This is rebellion. This is brokenness. The world that I thought was good is now evil. Christian, wasn't that a little bit of the world around you when the Holy Spirit changed your heart and mind? As you started looking around going, the things that I thought were right weren't just a little bit wrong. They were like, yee, wrong. So James is telling you, now in light of that, how do you live? Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. He's telling you that you live faithfully now, trusting in God now. Well, but trials may come. I get that. God will see you through. But there's hypocrisy in my world. I understand that. Trust in God, and God will see you through. But people are playing favorites, and the world isn't fair. How many times have you said that? It's not fair. I get that. Trust in God, and God will see you through. Now, if you think about it, didn't we just summarize three chapters worth of James's teaching? This is what he's trying to get across is that the world isn't fair and you are not good in and of yourselves, but Christ is good and you are good in Christ. Therefore, less of you, more of him. Therefore, evaluate how you live. Walk in wisdom. Trust in the work that God has accomplished. And then you do not have to fear the warnings of last week. You do not have to fear the judge being at the door because you are standing rightly. It is no longer a sword of death that he will wield in Revelation 19. It is a sword of protection. I mean, let's be honest. When that, that image of Revelation 19, it's, it's meant to be a little scary, isn't it? I mean, white horse, sash, sword, flaming eyes. It's like... That, that, if you saw that dude riding down the street, you'd be like, I don't think I want to mess with that guy. And if you're assembled on the other side of him, that's terrifying, isn't it? What if you're assembled on the same side as him? Not terrifying, is it? That's the ultimate, my dad's bigger than your dad. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? Nothing. <laughs> that's where we're supposed to be, because that's what he has provided for his people. Rest there daily. The world is defeated. Sin is conquered. You are now walking newly in him. So what might that look like? Verse 10. As an example, brethren, I like when James follows along. As an example of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Why the prophets? Well, if you know your Old Testament history, the prophets just had an awesome life, right? Nothing bad ever happened to the prophets of God, ever. Hebrews 11. What more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weaknesses were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, not accepting their release that they may obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, chains and imprisonment. They were sown, they were stoned, sawn in two, 
tempted, put to death with a sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. That just sounds like fun, doesn't it? No, not in the least. That's the history of the prophets of God's people. They're a good example of suffering and patience, aren't they? Why? Why? Because they were changed by God. Now, lesson. The prophets of God's people were sent to proclaim a message to whom? Israel. Israel is supposed to be what? God's people. So the prophets of God's people were sent by God to proclaim a message to God's people. And they were stoned, sawn in two, tempted, put to death with the sword. <laughs> the calls are coming from inside the house. The call is coming. You remember that? The call is coming from inside the house. I always wondered how that worked. <laughs> it's a bad horror movie reference. Um, this is the problem of the world is that the temptation and the lie is everywhere. This is, again, why a faithful community is so very important. Why don't you rest there, Christian? Because you are strengthened and changed. Why don't you fear them, Christian? Because you are strengthened and changed. Why can you walk faithfully, Christian? Because you are strengthened and changed. This is Paul. We read this a couple weeks ago, 2 Corinthians 12. I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This again harkens back to the beginning of James. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Because why? Because the trials will prove your faith. And you will bear up. And if you're not sure you're going to bear up, then ask God for wisdom. Why wisdom? Because when I ask God for wisdom, he changes my heart and my mind, and he allows me to walk leaning on him, evaluating this world rightly and understanding that I'm playing a long game with eternity in mind, and I'm not worried about the present discomforts and difficulties. I mean, this was the warning Jesus gave. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. And the answer to that should be what? Yes, you would have. Yes, you would have. You testify against yourselves. You're the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers. How will you escape the sentence of hell? Stephen told him the same thing before they killed him. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart, ears always resisting the Holy Spirit, doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the laws ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. That's the world around you, Christian. What do you do now? Repent of your sins, trust in the work of God, and walk faithfully. That's why I joked. We're not important enough to get protested. Doesn't matter. God loves us. The world thinks I'm an idiot. Doesn't matter. God calls me good. The world thinks that I'm wasting my time. Doesn't matter. God has declared me righteous in his sight. Who cares what they think? But they feel like they won the argument. Don't care. We proclaimed Christ. We pointed the way to salvation. Our light shined. We 
win. I can't be fruitful because I can't do anything, but I can be faithful and God can do a whole lot. That's not just an evangelism understanding. That's a life understanding. I want my life to work. Oh, maybe I should not build it upon the lie of the world and instead build it upon the truth of God. In what aspect should I do that? Yes. Welcome to the difficulty. Because you know who that requires me to start getting mad at more often? Because who's my problem? Me. And here's the lie. Because I see the problem and I go, eh, it's not that bad. It's okay. Mm. Step it, step it, step it. <laughs> I have to trust. I have to be honest and I have to recognize that Christ has overcome even that one. Even the one I don't want to get rid of, that's the one Christ has overcome. That's the one he's putting to death. That's the one that needs to go to. Why? Because it's not about me and it's not about now. It's about eternity and about building his kingdom. So let's finish up. Verse 11, we count those blessed who endured. Why? Because as Jesus pointed out, who will be saved? He who perseveres to the end. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. Ooh, question. Why did Job persevere? And you ready? I'll help you out. This is something you may want to remember in the coming weeks. Mm. <laughs> Job 1. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there's no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man fearing God and turning away from evil. I always like asking this question to remind people of this. Who brought up Job? God. Who picked the fight? God. God picked the fight. Why did Job make it to the end? Because this is why, one of the reasons I love Job is when you read Job, and if you actually dig into the details and don't just skip over everything like people skim through it, you will see Job like on one page is, I hate God and I curse my existence and I wish I'd never been born. And like you flip the page and Job is looking going, but I know that my Redeemer lives and I shall see God at the end. It's like, well, dude, pick one. Do you hate him or are you his child? Do you love him or has he forsaken you? Which, which one is it? And the answer for Job is yes. Because Job is mired in his sin. Why will he get through it? You know that reference I always make about the Holy Spirit dragging you, kicking and screaming? That's Job. That's, that's his life. Job makes it to the end, not because Job was blameless and upright, but because God is carrying him through. Job is blameless and upright because God has cleansed him. That's the difference. Go to David's prayer in Psalm 51. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. I can't. You can. And as I remember that, my life is different. So you've heard of the endurance of Job and seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Welcome to the drumbeat of Scripture. This is the baseline that is just constant throughout your Old Testament. I mean, this is even found in God's declaration when he passes by Moses, Exodus 34. The 
excuse me, got choked there. The Lord passed by in front of him, proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. That's like the opening salvo of who God is. Now, who wants a history lesson? It'll be a short one, I promise. Adam and Eve, if you had put Adam and Eve in charge and they did what they did, what would you have done? God covers their sin. God provides for them a promise and God grants them sons that will continue that line forward so that the promise will be fulfilled. Noah's a great guy, right? Builds the ark, you know, takes care of the animals. I always love the, um, if you've never seen it, the, uh, the old 1960s movie, The Bible. If you've never seen it, go hunt that down and watch it. They, they go from creation through, um, where do they get through? I can never remember where the thing cuts off. They, they get through Isaac, okay. But they go through Noah and they try to do a little bit of a dramatic retelling. The, 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 the ark section is my favorite because Noah's wife is not named in scripture, but in the movie they have Noah interacting with her. And since she doesn't get a name, they don't give her one because they're trying to be faithful to the text. So he spends the whole movie going, wife, hand me the bucket. <laughs> <laughs> and she's come, where are we ever going to find milk for these animals? Wife, we will. <laughs> it's, just, it's just hysterical. Yeah, it's just hysterical to me. It's, it's Ham, Shem, and Japheth, Noah, and wife. <laughs> See, if you've never seen it, it's literally called The Bible. It's actually really well done. I, I, I recommend it. Um, but Noah, awesome guy, gets off the boat, and the first thing he says is what? I need a drink. <laughs> And you know he was waiting for that vineyard to grow like. <laughs> I mean, Noah's not just like a little bit blitzed. Noah's like not remembering his own name out of it. Awesome guy, right? And yet, you see the mercy of God. Abram. Abram's awesome. You'll have a son. Great. Bring me Hagar. <laughs> Don't leave the land. Who wants to go to Egypt? I mean, you want to reach into your Bible and strangle the man. And yet, what does he receive? The promise. And he receives the son, and he receives the sign of circumcision, and all of that work. Jacob's just a wonderful human being that you would just like to hang out with on the weekends and play cards with, right? No, because you'd have to check his sleeves every 20 minutes. Shake it out. No, no, wait. Are you high? Where did this one come from? Hmm? I mean, that's Jacob. And yet the promise is reiterated. The promises are continued. I mean, if Joseph was your little brother, you'd have thrown him in a pit too. He's a bit of a brat. I'm telling dad. And yet, redeemer of the people. Moses spends two chapters arguing with God and explaining why he can't do the great work that God has told him is going to get accomplished. And yet, what happens? It gets accomplished, amazingly enough, because God is gracious and merciful. I mean, David, here's a good one. Would you vote for David? <laughs> get a little bit of an anger issue, get a little, little impulsive, then maybe you don't want to trust him around your daughters. <laughs> And yet, he's the prototypical king. Why? Because God is gracious and merciful. And that modicum of faith, that trust in God to cleanse and to overcome is the initiatory work. I mean, Solomon, God gives you wisdom and a secure kingdom, and your answer is, how many women can I marry? That's it, huh? 
You sure we can't have a few more? I mean, you think I'm kidding? Go read Solomon. It'll do you good. Elijah kills the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel by Elijah's word. Think about this. It doesn't rain for three years. And then by Elijah's word, it starts raining the day you proclaim it to be true, which is the same day you just chucked the 450 prophets of Baal off the side of the mountain because they're idolatrous and evil and leading people astray. And after seeing all of this, you stand before Jezebel and she goes, I'm going to kill you. And you say, oh no, run away and hide. And God shows up and says, what? You got work to do. Get to work. This is the consistent drumbeat of Scripture, is when left to our own devices, what do we do? Nothing good. Not not just that we do nothing good, we actively go the wrong direction. And yet, he is merciful, he is gracious, and he is kind, and he is loving. I've told you before, I'll encourage you again, read Hebrews 11. Read the list of the hall of faith and mourn. Because that is a busted, broken messed up lot of humanity and it is a drumbeat why you should celebrate because it is a declaration of the mercy of God poured out on humanity. He can work through these people. He can work through these people. He can work in their world. He can build a nation. He can construct his kingdom and he can overcome in that world. You think ours is really that much worse? Because I got news for you, it's not. So what do we do? We proclaim truth. We stand firm. We walk faithfully, trusting in, it is, trusting in God who carries us, knowing that our end is good, knowing that the shining light is proclaiming a right message, knowing that as his people we are accomplishing his work because as his people he is accomplishing his work. And we can rest there every day. Let's pray.